for world records with the Commonwealth Games and everything, so my record is the number of slides. I have 58, 58, which actually probably, I, I worked it out, comes out at about 20 seconds a slide, so, you know, we'll see how we go and we'll speed up um, if, we, if we actually need to. Um, for those who don't know me, um, I'm Chris O'Gorman. That's probably a better photo of me. Yeah, that looks more natural. Um, <laughs> Chris O'Gorman, I'm a school chaplain is my front line. That's where God has currently called me to ministry. Um, I'm very passionate about all of us being called to ministry and all being on front lines though. Um, and I was inspired last week by Pastor Clem's presentation uh, when he showed some photos of his holiday. So I thought I'd show you some photos of my recent holiday too. <laughs> It occurred to me afterwards that um, his were all taken inside churches, whereas mine are sort of <laughs> in the great outdoors. Um, so I had the privilege of going to Western Australia recently and uh, in a camper van with a good friend driving all the way from Perth up to, to Broome and meeting some friends along the way, like whale sharks and things like that, um, and exploring some beautiful, absolutely beautiful places. And I have to say it was very refreshing. I have no um, – and that's, that's a little seaplane trip over the horizontal waterfalls up near – Derby, just fantastic. You know, turquoise and red were the, the themes and the colours of, um, of that wonderful holiday, beautiful gorges and uh, wonderful places. So I thought I'd annoy you with a bit of holiday spam. That's Geeky Gorge and Fitzroy Crossing. Um, yeah, so I had, a, had a, an absolutely wonderful time. But I'm a school chaplain, trained as a high school teacher prior to that. And at different times in my life, I've sort of switched back and forth between um, paid Christian ministry and teaching. Um, and to me, in my mind, it's, there's no difference in the sense of uh, I'm called to be on the front line. I'm called to represent Jesus uh, and I'm called to share him with others. So, oh, sorry, there's some more spam photos. Oh, there you go. Red rocks. Oh. So it's amazing country over there and there were some, you know, I could tell you some stories later if you asked me just how God opened up opportunities and uh, different things that happened when we were over there. It's just an amazing, absolutely amazing part of Australia on some beautiful little creatures as well too. That's a quokka on the right, yep. And, and lots of beautiful sunsets. It's absolutely beautiful to... Um, uh, that, that's a really good one because there were these young fellows on the mudflats at Derby who thought they'd annoy us by revving up their motorbikes, scooting across the mudflats. But they just created a beautiful dust haze for a sunset photo, so I was very grateful to them. Um, absolutely beautiful sunsets. You know, the sunsets over the ocean there, and it's, um, it's just spectacular. Um, so it was an extremely refreshing time. I'm someone who, part of my, I enjoy being in God's creation as a part of my worship of God. So there I am fading into the sunset or something. <laughs> at Broome. <laughs> I was just talking to, um, oh, I've forgotten. Meg, yeah, Meg, just before. She worked up in Broome for four years. It was lovely to meet her and she must have seen the photos. So, yes, that was good. But anyway, that's the end of the holiday spam and that was less than 20 seconds per slide. So I'm now ahead. That's good. Um, this, is a fan, this is a great series, The Jesus Life. It's a really good thing to do. Um, I've been a Christian for a long time now. I am one of those people who came out of a non-Christian background, so I have a particular moment, you know, at which I became a Christian, but I can't tell you the date because that would give away all my passwords. But um, it, it, I, had a, I became a Christian when I was a teenager on a scripture union camp many years ago. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's sometimes, you know, when you've been a Christian for a while, it's good to stop and to go back. And this series is, and my preparation for today has caused me to do this, to stop and think, what does it really mean? you know, to be a follower of Jesus. I've read these stories. You go back, and particularly working in a school teaching Christian education, the danger is that some of the stories become so familiar that you, you know, you sort of gloss over them and they don't sort of hit you like they should. Um, it is a danger, but uh, it's sort of, it's been a great chance to reflect um, on the Jesus life. And, uh, and, and what, the, the, what I've sort of picked today is I've tried to look through, and the reason there's so many slides is we're going to scoot over 
um, quite a number of different stories. You can look them up further. I'll, I'll have the scriptures up on the screen for you, but we'll only be on them momentarily. Trying to look at the things that, um, the things that Jesus obviously really loved and the things that really, really annoyed him. Okay, and it's, it's sort of, I, I don't know how the rest of you felt, felt about the series that came out, I think in 2020 for the first time, The Chosen, um, about, about Jesus and about his disciples. And uh, it was sort of based on the Bible, but went a lot further. It was a bit speculative. But one of the things it did for me was it really brought the characters to life, the disciples and, and, and Mary and, and other people as well, some of the stories. Um, but I think one of the ways that we can kind of um, look at, at, at what was important to Jesus was to watch his emotions. And, uh, you know, there are times when he was seemed to be very happy and times when he was very angry, sometimes quite shockingly so, actually. And I want to focus a bit on that today to see whether we can pick up some clues about how we should live, how we should live as followers of Jesus, how we embrace this Jesus life. So my motto has always been knowing Christ and making him known. And as I said before, um, this is this is the task of all of us. Um, I um, became a Christian through a parachurch organisation, um, and um, very few people in that organisation were ordained as such. Um, you know, all of us as Christians, not just the ones we pay as to, to do the job for us, if all of us have this business, have this responsibility to know Christ and to make him known. All of us have something to share. If we just leave it up to the more professional Christians, uh, the kingdom of God's in trouble. And it's really, really important that we understand that. And as I said, whether, I'm, whether I was a teacher, a university student, a script union worker or a chaplain, um, the task is the same. It's all about knowing Jesus better myself and making him known to others. And the only way we're going to make that happen is if we all get on board and we're all a part of it. So that's what I want to inspire you to do today, that you've got a role to play here too. Those of you that are teenagers who've just switched off because you thought, oh, this is the sermon, we can just goof off now. No, because um, you've got a school chaplain standing in front of you. Uh, the teenagers and the adults and the grandparents and everybody, um, we're all about making Jesus known because there's a, a, a job to do. Um, what do they say? I've read somewhere the... The, the Christian church is one generation always away from um, extinction if we don't play our part in sharing the gospel. So Jesus, many faces of Jesus. People see Jesus in different ways. Some see him as a bit of a radical. They like that kind of radical aspect of what he taught and they like to focus on that. Others see him as a bit of a mystic, you know, or, you know, super spiritual and we need to be super spiritual and perhaps withdraw from the world. Others sort of like that down-to-earth, rugged Jesus look, you know. Um, we've got a video we show the girls at school. Um, it's John's Gospel. I can't remember which one it was. One of the Jesus videos, not the original one that was very widespread, but they always ask me, if we, we, can we have the hot Jesus video? The hot Jesus, you know. And there's, there's somewhere, you know, he does, he does look sort of quite rugged or whatever. But um, so what, you know, who, who, was, who was Jesus? How do we learn from him to, um, to embrace things? So I want to go through a number of things that I believe the scriptures tell us Jesus really affirmed so that we can see the things that we should affirm too. One of the things that Jesus affirmed was faith. Um, and faith especially uh, from uh, unexpected quarters, faith from the marginalised, the little people. So often in Jesus' ministry, he notices the little people, doesn't he? And that should give us a clue, shouldn't it? Uh, the woman with the bleeding, who had the bleeding and, and, and Gentiles, who he was, he was there for the Jews really initially, but he notices um, people on the margins and... Uh, I think that, that affirmation of basic faith, people who reached out to him. So a few stories. 
Um, that's yeah. That, that's the story. First of all, there about um, the woman who who touched the edge of his robe, the woman who had that bleeding that had kept her marginalised from her society for 12 years because of a rule about cleanliness, um, and she's healed. And uh, he, he he seeks her out. He doesn't let her get away with it anonymously. Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And we see Jesus doing this in multiple settings. That there's the woman with the bleeding. There's also um, uh, the Roman official. This is a longer story um, about a Roman official who who comes um, whose his slave was very sick and he comes to Jesus one of the Romans you know they had nothing to do with Judaism let alone Jesus um, they were just there as you know um, on duty to to control these Palestinians um, and the Roman official comes to Jesus and asks that his serve be, save, uh, slave be healed and he even says to Jesus don't come to my house I'm not worthy of that just say the word I'm a man of authority I know how this works just say the word um, and my servant will be healed and Jesus does and if you look at the highlight a bit down the bottom there when Jesus heard this he was amazed turning to the crowd that was following him he said I tell you I haven't seen such faith like faith like this in all Israel and when the officer's friends returned to his house they found the slave completely healed so Jesus affirms faith faith especially from unexpected quarters um, another one was the the gentile woman who persisted who came um, again looking um, for healing for her daughter who was possessed by a demon and Jesus initially kind of appears to rebuff her a bit um, and, and the disciples say, tell her to go away. She's bothering us with all the begging. Um, and then Jesus explains, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep. But she says, um, Lord, help me. Uh, and she says, it's, it's, it's true, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. And Jesus' response in eliciting that, that response of faith from her, dear woman, he said, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. So one of the things that Jesus affirms from us, us is, is faith. One of the other things that you see Jesus um, affirming very regularly, I, I believe, is repentance, true repentance. And this is an interesting thing. You know, what is repentance? Um, I was taught that repentance is, is like a 180-degree turn, a change in our behavior, turning from walking away from God back to turning towards God. And then it's always accompanied, true repentance, by remorse, um, change, a changed behavior. So, you know, I love the story of Zacchaeus, you know, and Zacchaeus would have been a hated, marginalized person as a tax collector, very wealthy, um, but he'd got his wealth uh, the wrong way. And, uh, you know, Jesus comes to have lunch at his house and Zacchaeus shows that he had completely um, turned away from his sin by offering to repay everybody he cheated four times and giving half of what he had away. And uh, it's just a, such a powerful story when we see, G uh, we see Zacchaeus do that. The thing I love about this story and the thing that challenges me is that we don't read Jesus standing up and condemning Zacchaeus in any way for his behavior, but something about the fact that he was prepared to go and have lunch at his place and something about the way he related to Zacchaeus inspired Zacchaeus to change. And I think, wouldn't that be great in our lives? You know, we see things happening around us in the world today and the, the standards of the world are becoming less and less like the standards of, of God. And uh, I think, what is it about the way I live that should challenge people without me having to preach at them or condemn them? I don't believe that's what we're meant to do. I don't know what Jesus said to him and we're not told. But I don't think he, he condemned him, but there was something about what he did that inspired this man to completely change his life. Um, and, and the other one is the, the woman that was um, uh, washing Jesus' hair, washing Jesus' feet with, and wiping it with her hair. 
And uh, we have this woman who shows um, incredible remorse by her by humiliating herself, really. And Jesus has a conversation with the Pharisee whose house he was visiting at the time, and he and he talks about the fact that when you've been forgiven a lot, you love a lot, you know. And when you realise how much God has forgiven you, that's when you love back. And Jesus affirms this woman uh, who is washing his feet with her tears and then wiping them uh, with her hair. So repentance is another thing, genuinely turning away um, that, that, that Jesus affirms. Um, in terms of um, looking at what Jesus talked about a lot and, and, and what he preached about, that tells us what he loved as well too. And love itself is one of the things that Jesus loved. Um, love for neighbours. Um, well, sorry, that's still the woman with the, with the hair. Um, love for neighbours and love for enemies is another huge thing that Jesus affirms. Love for neighbours and love for enemies. So we have the greatest commandment. Uh, the teachers of the law quiz Jesus and ask him what is the greatest commandment. Well, he says that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbour as yourself. So in kind of summarising what we should be on about as Christians, that's what Jesus says. It's that loving God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and loving our neighbours as ourself. He takes it, of course, one step further, and that is that he talks about loving our enemies. And this is one of the most radical aspects of Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 5, uh, 43 to 48, loving our enemies. And when you think about that, who are our enemies? If we're engaging with um, society at all, if we're engaging with people around us, we're going to have enemies, people who, you know, not necessarily that we hate, but people that we just don't get on with as easily. Think about your workplace, think about your family, think about whatever. There are people that you find it difficult to get on with, um, people who aren't uh, just quite your people in the same way, but you have to operate in that same space with them. We've all had them, you know, we all have them uh, in our workplaces. And I remember talking to a wise Christian counsellor about this once, and he said to me, well, you could consider so-and-so as your enemy. And I'm thinking, oh, gee, I would never have put it in that sort of, those sort of terms. And he said, your job is not necessarily, you may not like them, but you've got to love them. And what does that mean in practical terms? Well, it means that you won't gossip about them. It means that you won't deliberately undermine them to other people. You know, it, it means that you'll act in their best interest, even if you may not feel particularly warm towards them. I think, gee, if we just did that, it'd solve a lot of conflict-type problems, wouldn't it? So who are our enemies? They're not people that, you know, are overseas with guns pointing at us or something. You know, our enemies are the people that irritate us perhaps and, and get up our nose and so and Jesus talks so strongly about that it's so easy to love people we like uh, it's not so easy uh, in church life and in family life uh, and in work life um, to love the people that we don't necessarily see eye to eye with so easily um, and as he says there you know if you love only those who love you what reward is there for that even the corrupt tax collectors do that but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Loving enemies is probably one of the greatest challenges. And those amazing stories of forgiveness that we read in the media, um, you know, stories of people being able to forgive others who've done terrible things, you know, who've murdered family members, who've done other things. And, and just to be able to do that, I'd, that is an incredible grace that God would give them the grace to be able to forgive in those kind of circumstances. A fourth thing that, um, that Jesus loved and Jesus affirmed is obedience. And he talks about that very regularly and, and we need to bear that in mind as well too, to, to know Jesus' commands and to do them, submitting ourselves to God's will. Um, that is something that Jesus affirms. He talks in the parable of the two builders. He said, you know, if you want to build your life on a firm foundation, a lot of people say the foundation is Jesus. It's not actually. The foundation is hearing Jesus' words and putting them into practice. 
as he says in those verses there. I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. Hearing Jesus' words, putting them into practice. And again, how willing are we to do that? You know, when we have our daily Bible reading, do we read that with the intention of, how can I apply this today? How do I put this into practice today? Because that's what it's about. Not just hearing it and then turning away. As James says, it's like someone who looks in a mirror and sees what needs to be done and doesn't bother and just walks off. You know, it's actually um, listening to God's word, allowing God to speak to us and then putting it into practice. Um, and you know, it was demonstrated in the early parts of Mark's gospel when Jesus just says to the disciples, come and follow me. And it says they dropped their nets and followed him. And whether they'd seen him previously or whether that was their first encounter with him, it's not really explained to us. Um, but the fact is when he said, come and follow me, I'm going to show you how to fish for people, they dropped their nets and they followed him. There was that sense of obedience. When God challenges us about something, convicts us about something, then we need to, we need to obey. And I've I preached to myself here as much. When you've been a Christian for a while, sometimes you, you, know, you, can, you can sort of get a little bit blasé about when God speaks to you firmly from his word and blasé about actually acting on that um, and humbling yourself to obedience to go and do that. Since I sent the PowerPoint in, I discovered um, in my readings this week another thing that Jesus really affirms, which I thought I'd share with you. Based on his emotion, um, at one stage in the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel, I think I was reading, it talks about Jesus sending the disciples out in pairs to heal and to cast out demons and to, and to help people. And when they came back, there's this sense of excitement and rejoicing at what they had seen. The other thing that Jesus affirms is us going out and imitating him and doing his, his works, serving him, taking his message into the world. And it was, it, that was, what I suppose, the first instance in Luke's gospel, at least, where you know, it wasn't just Jesus doing these wonderful things, helping people physically and spiritually, preaching the kingdom, as well as healing and, and feeding them and so on. Um, but it was the disciples doing that. And that's what uh, gets Jesus excited. And I know as a chaplain, one of the things that excites me, um, one of my roles is to, um, I guess, identify and build a Christian team at school. And there are students who are Christians. And uh, you know, every year we have student leaders who are chapel captain and some are circle a Christian fellowship group captain and conveners and whatever and you know you got these young young Christ, young teenagers who who come and 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 who um, you want to encourage them to share their faith and in, in a difficult environment it's so difficult these days for young people to share their faith and it, it does my heart great joy when you see them doing that there's uh, some of them came back from a camp in the middle of the year excited about um, starting some small groups amongst the girls in the Christian fellowship group and they've had about 15 or 20 of them meeting together every Wednesday and three of the tw year 12s have been running the groups and they've they talk about very practical things about their faith and one of the year 11 girls just came to me this week and said oh Miss OG someone as, to, as someone in that group's not a Christian and there's a few of the girls that aren't actually there yet and she said they've just asked me about being a Christian I'm not quite sure what to say how should I share with them and I thought how exciting it's not me talking to this kid it's one of the other kids talking to her and I, I was just able to send an email to this girl and say you know that is the most exciting thing anyone will ever ask you in your whole life you know, how do I become a Christian? How, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I gave her a few verses and a booklet and so on. And uh, it's just when you pass it on to other people and you see other people passing it on, I can understand why Jesus was so excited when the disciples came back um, from having seen God at work, having seen God answer their prayers. So that's another thing that excites Jesus is when we, we multiply the message by um, obeying him out in the world. The other side of the coin, which is helpful to learn from, I think, is what made Jesus angry? We often think of ang anger as being a bad thing, but um, yeah, the Bible says, be angry, but do not let your anger lead you to sin. Um, 
it's not wrong sometimes to be angry. Um, it's just what we do with it, how we express it, and so on. And there are a number of um, times, occasions in the scriptures where you're sort of quite shocked at what Jesus either says or does. Sometimes it's in the words that he uses, the language that he uses. Sometimes it's in his actual actions. And uh, the first thing uh, I think that, that makes Jesus angry um, is hypocrisy. Uh, and some of the strongest words in, um, in Matthew 23, I've, I've, I've been using the New Living Bible in my quotes here in, this, in their slides, but uh, it sort of softens his words a bit. <laughs> you go back to the New International, you blind fools, you whitewashed tombs, you know. And he's, he's talking to people, he's saying that to them. You think, oh gee, would you ever get angry enough at someone to say that? Well, Jesus did. Um, this whole thing about pretending to be what one is not, saying one thing and doing another. And when it came to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you know, in Matthew 23, he gives them very, very strong warnings. You know, woe to you. What sorrow awaits you? Hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. They were doing two things. They were behaving hypocritically and they were preventing others from coming into God's kingdom. And it's those two things that made Jesus very angry. Hypocrisy and preventing others from coming into his kingdom. Okay, and uh, you, 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 know, you, you, you are careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Very strong words. That's the hypocrisy. You're one thing on the outside, you're something else on the inside. And this is the danger for all of us in Christian leadership, um, is that you can, people can start to see you as um, being some, somehow special or different, and it's a warning to all of us. I'm a very, very um, fragile, broken human being, just like everybody else. Um, but you try to depend on God. I've been, I've been given certain gifts and abilities. That doesn't make me better than anyone else at all. It just gives me a responsibility to use those. And it's so, so important to keep checking yourself. And for me personally, to keep checking myself um, and being open to, you know, feedback that might suggest there are some things I need to address. You know, that's it's very important for all of us. And I've always made it a point I've got a number of uh, friends in my life and a mentor or two who are what I would call truth tellers they don't hold back you know if they if they think I need to hear something they'll tell me and I will talk to them about things and run things by them to see if, if there's a blind spot or somewhere where I'm kind of um, behaving even unintentionally uh, hypocritically so he had a lot to say to the teachers of the law about this and, and about how they, they love the positions of honour and, you know, they just like to lord it over other people. You know, this this kind of hypocrisy. Um, I'll come back to the preventing other people from coming into the kingdom in a minute because I think that's another one that Jesus was very angry about. The, other, the most um, confronting actions, I think, of, that we see Jesus performing I don't know about you is when he went to the temple and he was overturning the money changers tables and so on I remember when we were I was we were quite young Christians and we did an intense intensely long study of John's gospel over two years in, with a bible study group one of the girls was absolutely enthralled with the fact that one of the gospels talks about Jesus when he came to the temple and he saw all the money changers I'll just move on disrespecting disrespecting God's God's house. Uh, he he actually it, one of the gospels actually says Jesus made a whip. It wasn't like he went and found a whip. He sat down and he made a whip. You know, I don't know how long that took, but that's a lot of anger. You know, sometimes you might you know write an email and not send it, hoping that your anger might dissipate a little. But you know, it's it's sort of this was actually deliberately <laughs> building it up, I suppose. But this, what was it that made Jesus so angry in the temple? And again, I'm no theologian, and people can, uh, those who are, can can correct me and add to it if you like. But uh, my understanding was that what he said was, "You have turned my house, a house of prayer, 
um, into you know um, a, pl a place of uh, bartering and, and of buying and selling things. And I think it's this disrespecting the place of God, disrespecting um, the temple of God, the place where God was to be worshipped. Uh, and it's you know the, the house of prayer for all nations. You've turned it into a den of thieves, where there was transactions going on that weren't even fair, weren't even right. They were actually somewhat of a ripoff. So it's sort of I guess replacing worship with secular activity and disrespecting God's house, but particularly disrespecting prayer. And our prayer is such a, a central, important part of what we do, isn't it? And it's uh, di the disrespect of that that Jesus was so angry about when he came to the temple and found what they were doing. It was like this system that had been set up to help people come to God, to come to worship and to connect with God, and it was being disrupted um, by these activities. And uh, he, was, he was very angry. The other thing that made him, um, Jesus, angry at times was unbelief. This is an interesting one. Um, if, you, if I ask you the question, what's the opposite of faith? Some people answer doubt, but that is not the case, I don't believe. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is a natural thing that all of us face from time to time about different things. We have questions about things. We don't quite understand something. We waver a little bit, you know, this is happening. Is God really good? You know, <laughs> is he really with me? He hasn't forgotten me, has he? Um, we, have, we have some doubts. But that is a very different thing from what we call unbelief. Un unbelief is the opposite of faith. And unbelief is that sort of deliberate uh, not believing, blocking faith or blocking other people's faith as well. Um, and, or just not having faith um, in what God could do. And uh, Jesus was pretty angry with his disciples at times. He wasn't just angry with the religious leaders, but he was pretty exasperated, I suppose might be the better word, with his disciples when they couldn't sort of... A fellow came to him with a, uh, um, um, an evil spirit. His son had an evil spirit. Um, and he couldn't... He, you know, he'd asked the disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't. And Jesus says to his disciples, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? <laughs> Bring the boy to me. So he's a bit exasperated isn't he with the lack of faith the, the unbelief that was preventing uh, this boy from being healed uh, and then when he talks about towns that are um, un unbelievable you know un unbelieving I should say and what sorrow awaits you Chorazin and Bethsaida if the miracles I did in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon their people would have repented of their sins long ago clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads yes Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you um, so that's pretty strong, isn't it, when whole towns rejected what Jesus was doing. And he says, well, you know, it's not going to be good for you um, to be unbelieving, to be rejecting um, what I'm doing at, to that level. Another thing that uh, made Jesus angry is pride and arrogance, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to and um, putting other people down. And I suppose we come back to the Pharisees and the tax collectors a bit here. Um, the story of the, 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 the tax collector and the Pharisee um, who were praying in the temple and the, the, ta the Pharisee um, says, you know, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even list his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. So Jesus loves humility. He, he, he affirms humility and he, um, he does not affirm pride. And in his own disciples who were discussing who was the greatest in the kingdom of God, any sort of sense of um, position um, within God's kingdom, within God's family, um, that's, that sort of can be a source of pride, can be a thing of pride. Uh, so the disciples were trying to work out which ones would get to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand in the kingdom. And uh, he says, you know, um, the greatest um, must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. It's an absolutely upside down um, a thing, the whole thing of servant leadership. 
Um, another thing that made Jesus angry, and this comes back to the Pharisees again too, is the unnecessary barriers that some people put to keep people coming into the kingdom of heaven. And this is something that, again, I find personally really challenging and, and look at myself and think, is there anything I'm doing, uh, any sort of legalism that I'm sort of introducing or any kind of extra rules, you know, that, that I'm sort of thinking is important if you're going to be a Christian because any unnecessary barriers, uh, anything that seeks to add to God's work of grace through Christ um, is, is not um, appropriate. It's, it's, it's something that, made, again, made Jesus quite angry. And the story of Jesus um, uh, healing the man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees getting very upset about that because that qualified as work, doing work on the Sabbath. And according to the Mosaic law, you don't do any work on the Sabbath. And we see here that Jesus was very angry, you know, um, and, and he knew that this was what it was leading up to. He knew that if he healed this man, this is the criticism that he would get. So he, you know, he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So this kind of you know, barriers, you can't heal them on this day. There's six other days to do that. Extra rules, okay? Um, Extra, extra rules that, uh, that people sort of try to employ. And, and we, all, we all do that. We have, you know, things that we kind of add to it. A big issue in the early, in the New Testament church was the issue of circumcision. You know, how much of the Old Testament ways and laws should be brought into this new covenant? And there was the issue about whether um, Gentile believers should all be circumcised. And that was something the church really wrestled with. It seemed really important to them. Obviously, it doesn't seem important to us today um, in terms of being a member of the church. But it was in the early days. So it's adding extra, extra things. And um, I remember being challenged when I was at Scripture Union, feeling a little bit smug because, you know, we weren't a denomination that had our denominational blind spots. You know, we were parachurch. We were really good. Uh, and then someone pointed out that our little legalism was probably the, 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 uh, the daily quiet time. It was almost like, you know, repent, believe in Jesus, and then you've got to read your Bible and pray every day. That was sort of the Scripture Union way. Um, and it was like, yeah, that's, you've got to be careful about that. Yes, it's a great thing to do, but it can become a legalism as well too. Adding any rules, adding any unnecessary barriers to the kingdom um, is, is not um, what Jesus calls us to do. Um, and then this one here, exclusion. When was Jesus angry? Exclusion. And this is such... A big issue today, and uh, as a chaplain, it's one of the biggest issues that, uh, that, that we face is, um, is, is how to deal with the accusation of being exclusive uh, in God's kingdom, excluding people. And Jesus was very big on not excluding. Um, so we got the story of the children when people were bringing their children to him and the disciples were saying, no, no, you know, keep them away. Uh, and Jesus says, no, let the children come to me um, because for such is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so that's, that was one of the examples of his not excluding. Um, so, and, and again, the time that he spent with people who were considered sinners and who the tax, uh, sorry, the uh, Pharisees considered to be scum. Um, and he actually, they actually say to him, why do you, to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And Jesus spends an inordinate amount of time with people who the religious leaders of the time would not spend time with. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. He, he certainly um, spends a lot of time with the so-called sinners, those who are on the outside of society. And I wonder for us as a church whether if we had been a bit more intentionally uh, inclusive over the years um, about the odd bods who are around us, 
uh, whether we might not have been accused as we are of being so exclusive. Um, and it's such, it's such a challenge to us. How do, we, how do we include people and yet still talk about the way God wants us to live and the, the standards that he sets and yet not be exclusive in the way that we deal with people? Um, I just want to give a shout out to Pete and Dot Lane at this point. Dot's here today. I don't think Pete's here, but uh, you know, Dot, Dot and Pete run a group at their home, which is an absolutely living testimony to not being exclusive. I've met some very unusual people at Pete and Dot's place, and not just Pete, but you know, <laughs> others as well too. But uh, you know, it, they have a group that meets together. Um, I'm not sure how often these days, but for many, many years, once a week. Um, and in, in, their, in their courtyard, and you get all sorts of unusual people show up there, people who know they feel accepted. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've met, there's been Muslim students and all sorts of people that have been there, and I think how wonderful to be able to receive people um, and to offer hospitality and uh, not be threatened by the fact that those people might be very, very different to us. Um, so how do we, how do we sort of... Um, engage with people in a way that shows that we love what Jesus loved and we hate what Jesus hates as well too, if I can use those terms. I think there's a, a ways of engaging with people, a ways of kind of building our impact on the society around us, which, as I say, you know, knowing Jesus and making him known, I think it's a very central thing about who we are. The first thing is that we do so from a place of relationship. Uh, and it's so important for us as Christians to be involved in the wider world, you know, to get to know people. And all of you have your front lines, you know, whether you're um, parents and you've got your PNF groups at school or sports clubs or whatever else, you know, um, gymnastics clubs, dance academies, whatever your children are involved in, you've got those kind of relationships that you can work on. If you're a university student, you've got the people that you're going to university with, a school student, you've got your friends at school, uh, and even your teachers. Did you know you can influence your teachers? Um, all of us, uh, whether it's the people that we regularly buy our coffee from or the people that we, where we get our petrol or buy our groceries, we can, um, we can build relationship, we can be friendly, we can reach out and um, we can let people get to know us. And, and, and when people know that we care, then they want to know why, you know. And um, it, when we get genuinely involved with non-Christian people, and those of you that are good at hospitality, um, and for, for families, that's probably a helpful thing to include one or two other people in an invitation. Practice hospitalities, uh, hospitality, build those relationships. We used to talk a lot, um, again, when I was at Scripture Union, about earning the right to share the gospel by letting people get to know you and building your reputation, I suppose, with integrity and transparency in your life. People seeing you for who you are, you know, and, uh, and not sort of just that you're all kind of the, this perfect kind of never-make-a-mistake type person. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about one of our SU chaplains once who was a – he'd been a tradie before he became a chaplain. And he was really struggling with how people were relating to him as the chaplain, you know, in his school and trying to work out how to break through with that. And he went on a school camp um, one year – I think it was year nine camp, probably naughty year nines. Um, he went on a year nine camp and he was in a tent with a couple of the teachers and the kids got up to a bit of mischief at night and let down the tent. And everyone woke up with a bit of a fright and he accidentally – can you say the word fart in church? I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, that's what he did, and, and he, he said from then on he was absolutely in with the other male teachers because he even, you know, even did that sort of thing, you know, even though he was a Christian. So it was just, um, yeah, it's it just letting people see that you're a genuine person, you know. Uh, you don't have to air all your dirty laundry, but, you know, um, at least people know that you're real and you're, and you're being transparent with them. 
Uh, a friend of mine, again, one of the ladies at SU, taught me about saying hard things with a smile on your face. It's amazing how much you can get away with uh, when you say hard things with a smile on your face. Uh, when you've got something difficult, someone asks you a difficult question, and uh, if, you, if you answer with a smile, it sort of tends to go a long way. It's probably why I smile a lot, get asked a lot of hard questions. Um, and accepting and including, but somehow inspiring change, as I said with Pete and Dot. Somehow accepting everyone and being able to accept them for who they are, um, and, and, and yet that doesn't necessarily mean agreeing with everything that they think or everything about them, but it's still accepting them somehow and inspiring change. And the last thing in terms of the rules of engagement, what I call the rules of engagement, uh, what I would call random conversations. I've got a few friends, I've put Tanya's name there, uh, who are very good at this. Um, you know, I, I was this Tanya's a friend I go out to dinner with. Joy knows Tanya from Ipswich, lovely Christian lady from um, Pastor Mark Edwards' church. Um, and Tanya is just really good at talking to strangers. I think everyone in Ipswich knows Tanya. Uh, she's an amazing woman, has had been at Ipswich State High for about 35 years now and uh, has an incredible impact on the school. But we were out at a, at a Vietnamese restaurant at Dara this week and she just can't help herself. She just goes over and talks to people the table about what, what's that that you're eating and what's that thing there and I just think and then she talks to the you know the guy who's taking our bill and whatever and opens things up and I, I thought gee if you just have enough conversations like that some of them are going to lead to something really helpful aren't they and just being friendly and, and reaching out and I just sort of pay my money get out of there but no not Tanya she's uh, happy to engage whoever and I think all of those things are great principles in terms of relating I will ask the band if they wouldn't mind sort of coming back up just as I'm wrapping up um, if you don't mind. Um, what I want to finish with today is just um, is to pray for you, um, um, to pray for all of you, because as I said at the start, I believe this is the responsibility of all of us is to know Christ and to make him known to others. This series is a great way to get to know Jesus better ourselves uh, through revisiting the scriptures. I've done, as I say, a very quick um, overview. I hope I haven't sort of gone too far over time. Um, and But, but it, it's it's... Um, it's, it's getting to know Jesus and being willing to talk to others about him and recognising that all of us are in the position to do that. That's not the responsibility of just a few. It's the responsibility of all of us. No matter how broken we feel, no matter how inadequate we feel, God can use our efforts um, to actually reach others. God will use the smallest thing you have to offer. And again, I think of the loaves and the fishes story. You know, The great message from that is that you bring the small amount that you have and God does something amazing with it. And that's the message for us today as well too. So I'm going to pray and then hand over to the band. Pray that God will open up opportunities for you. That God will just keep any of those multiple words I've shared today on your heart that you need to hear. And that all of us will keep growing in these ways of relating, these rules of engagement that will help us to help a world that is desperately in need. And we just don't always recognize it, but they desperately need to know Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We have worshipped you today. We have stood together and shared in worship in your presence. And we thank you that we can come together and gather every week and do that. And as we've heard from your word and as we've listened to the stories about how Jesus engaged with people, the things that he loved, the things that he hated, the way he engaged with people, I pray for each one of us that you'll just take whatever little part of what's been said today that we need to hear and apply it, latch it onto our hearts and our minds for this week. I pray that you'll open each of us up to the possibilities that you might want to use us, you do want to use us to impact the world around us. When we feel overwhelmed, when it seems like it's just too difficult to do, 
uh, when, when it seems like our friends or our family are just so far from you, it's not going to make any difference or it's been so many years that we've been trying to share with them. Please help us not to give up. Please help us to be faithful, to continue to reach out in love, not from a place of condemnation, but from a place of acceptance, to understand that we can't change anyone, but you can, to understand that we don't have to be whole or perfect before you use us, that you'll use us just the way we are in all of our brokenness. And I pray that each of us will have stories and testimonies in the coming days and weeks of how we have stumbled into conversations where we can talk to people about you, where we can engage with people and share with them the incredibly good news about Jesus Christ. Amen. This bridge together, do you understand? We're going to sing this as a prayer.